0: Good evening. Good evening. I think this is our second home, actually, and um, I want to thank you, first of all, for being church and part of that massive church universal. I don't know whether you appreciate it; the world needs you more than you probably appreciate, particularly in this day and age and whatever. I just want to encourage you to seek the Lord and uh, and be uh, Tim. Thank you too, also. I know that many of you pray for Rose. I want to thank you for that small churches I don't know whether you appreciate you probably do are embattled they really are and um, some are closing down and um, the gospel is not under threat because God is all-powerful but you know what I'm saying there's a massive massive realignment going on in that world out there and um, God needs you and uh, use you uh, as you will um for his honor and glory. I just, it, it was interesting that um, bug at Keswick, okay? Well, I don't know if you've Googled today, okay? Well, there's an emergency at Leeds Bradford Airport and they've grounded at least one aircraft and uh, there's a bug on the airplanes and they're going down like flies. Was it, not the planes. <laughs> <laughs> um the people and i pray for them and uh it's particularly it's jet two and it's to do with spanish flights and guess whose family namely Lindsay, is in minorca via jet two so we uh put an emergency call in today to warn them to check at the other end maybe just one aircraft which hopefully it is um but uh there you go another bug all right they seem to be inventing them now, don't they? And I didn't realize, you you—you must have been in week two, were you? Three, 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 week three? Three, three. Where were we, Marjorie? I, we never heard it, did we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, you would if you were in isolation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Well, thank you for the invitation to share with you and um, let's pray and then we'll dig into god's word and um, see what it has to say father thank you for about what we're about to receive and do us all good lord feed us move us on help us to see your holy spirit moving in and through what it is you're saying from your word thank you for it bless lord the under the, the words let them not be mine let them be yours as has have just been prayed but more or less lord as well bless our memories bless our understanding and give us the insight to dig deeper in the next few days in jesus name amen what i want to encourage you to do is that okay is to um a great believer that a message really much of the time is just an introduction to next week for the people that hear it, and I just want you to go into next week, hear what God is saying to you, take it in, dig deeper, and be fed. As our one of our brilliant grandsons says, um, when he was asked to say grace, he said, "Thank you for this food, Lord. I know it'll do us good." <laughs> Marjorie was kind of bone cloud now when he said that. And that's it with God's word. Feed, it's not just, let it not just be an event. Let it not just be another set of words. Let it not just be you sitting there and you say, that's applicable to me. Ask God what he's saying to you. Well, Pastor Phil gave me the topic, which was encounters with Jesus. I understand you've, is it two you've been through already? first one. You didn't tell me that bit. Okay, all right. Encounters with Jesus. And there's absolutely lots of them. And um, I was looking it up in Luke's gospel alone, and it kind of hadn't completed the counting. There's over 41 encounters with Jesus. Forty-one. And more and counting. What it doesn't one of the things that I, I thought was um, a great um, miracle, actually one of the first miracles. I don't know whether you see it that way. I don't. Uh, I do. Is that when Jesus called the disciples? I thought it was miraculous what happened. Think about it. Professional men. They had families. They were had a living. They had to earn a crust. And it happened so quickly, it was unbelievable. It was kind of verging on the miraculous. But there's many more. As I said, the 41 um, in Luke's Gospel are quite incredible. And if you you read it, you see it's not only, it is all about Jesus, but there's, there's many different people in many, many different situations. And the point where Jesus met them was where they needed the buttons pushing. There was all sorts of things. Think about it. Um, The demon-possessed man, Peter the fisherman, Levi and the Pharisees, the Roman centurion, Simon and the sinful woman, the storm on the sea. They were incredible. Some of them were emergencies. Some of them, too, were actually almost, I won't say incidental, but they were in between the main story. Remember Jairus' daughter? and the issue of blood, and the, and the woman. And it was on the way. And it was this incredible thing that this son of God and son of man met people at their point of need, which were many in varied. And that's what I kind of hope you pick up in, in, in this series, because he wants to meet you at your point of need, in your situation. And move you on. So these happenings and these happenings were to the individuals. They were at the point of need. They happened in many and very different ways. And sometimes they happened between events. But when Pastor Phil asked me, I, I kept coming back and I prayed about it. And I kept coming back to this one experience. Was the conversion of Paul. And uh, he met Jesus. Jesus. And uh, as you study it, you see some of the things um, that were astonishing about that. Let me um, read then Acts twenty six. Another incredible thing that uh, kind of struck me I- I- in doing this was that Luke was the Gentile. Luke was the 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 doctor, the professional, and Luke was not an apostle. And he wrote three times about this incident of the conversion of Paul. Acts 9, big one. There's your homework for this week. Read it. Acts 22. Read it again. Another version of the same thing. And here it is in Acts 26. You know when he's on his way to Rome and he meets King Agrippa. Let me read the first 19 verses. Then Agrippa Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies, very clever. Do you get the trend? Do you get the the kind of trap he was trying to escape and he set a trap for them? And especially you are well acquainted with customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now just let me underline that. That's a crucial bit in the mental, understanding of his mentality before all this event. I was convinced I ought to do all possible things to oppose this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme, imagine. The tactic of this man. And in my obsession, note the language, in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. He was spreading it in the known world. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Please note that. Brighter than the sun. Can you imagine? Blazing around me and my companions, we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Now we could stop there and make a complete, absolute, spiritual application to it. listen what it says, I have appeared to you. As a witness, as a servant, you've seen me. I'll show you what I'll show you, and you can serve me. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. And then he goes on to explain what he did and how he explained. Well, there are many things in this story, so I do encourage you to read Acts 9, read Acts 22, and read this one again in Acts 26. Somebody said after the resurrection, this was one of the most critical events in the Christian world, in the Christian generation. It was God's intervention on a massive scale. Imagine what was happening. It changed the world. I don't know if, if you perhaps think that through. It changed the world. God was going to do it his way and he did it incredibly through one man on a massive scale. Let's put another perspective on it. If it hadn't have happened, there would be 13 or 14 books in the New Testament that wouldn't exist. Unless God did it another way. Let's look at another issue. It's not only a, a crucial thing, it transcended time. How would we understand the gospel had not these things happened, if this had not happened this way, if God had not used this man and Luke and many more to communicate this truth and the truth of the glorious gospel through the ages down to us tonight in this room where we've made a faith and a stand. What's more, it's, it's incredible truth that is still making an impact and will continue to make an impact into the future. This great gospel and this great intervention by a glorious God and Father through the Son of God communicates a truth that destabilizes, upsets, reorientates the world and speaks to us even today. I want you to look at something else. Saul believed in God before all this happened. Saul was content with things as they were. Saul even thought he was doing the right thing by doing what he did. And yet, through this story, Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the apostle. What a transition! The whole story, uh, in terms of God's intervention, persuaded Paul, Saul, as he was, to re-examine his definition of truth. But God said, you've only got the partial truth. And through this experience and the revelation, you'll see as we go on a bit further, that the full understanding, the whole truth was revealed to him and through him to the rest of the world and through the rest of the world to reach you and me. He found out later that he was an enemy of God. He didn't understand that. He thought he was the opposite. And yet he was opposing what God was doing. He was destroying the work of God, and Jesus intervened. He started to understand who this Jesus really was. And I do encourage you to examine yourselves and, and, and myself. Who is this Jesus? And you will discover new truths about him. If you read these encounters with God, with Jesus, through the the epistles, you'll discover the attributes of Jesus. His compassion, his humility, his love, his forgiveness, his commitment, his gentleness, his patience, his self-control, his way of knowing the heart of man and getting away from the superficiality of things. Paul Saul, as he was, knew Judaism through and through. And if you read these accounts, he he aimed to advance it, and we just read, beyond the borders of the Jewish state. It says he was an intense prosecutor of Judaism in Jerusalem and beyond. But he was so zealous, he had destructive aims, He became an intense persecutor. He was zealous for God. Many, many people believe, did Saul as he was know Jesus before this event? And um, nobody really knows, but it's pretty certain that he knew of him. And it's pretty certain, he was absolutely certain, he was well-connected in the hierarchy. He was real potential for the Pharisee or the Pharisaical network. He was ambitious. He probably realized that the words and the work of this Jesus haunted the Pharisees. You've seen them and the jealousy, and all the bad things that it generated. He would have visited Jerusalem as a strict Pharisee. He would have known that the thoughts and the opinions of the hierarchy was that this man was a false prophet, that this man was a blasphemer, Jesus I'm talking about, and even in some cases a messenger of Satan. Satan. Saul was confident, some would say overconfident, in what he believed. And he believed too. He was doing what God had called him to do. And then this transformation. The actual word, the the name, meant small, Paul, small. It rhymes a bit. But he actually thought he was a small man. Actually refers to that in in some of the apostles. But I wanted to just for a sec to, to pick on one thing that, that Jesus said to him. Jesus touched him right at the deepest part. And listen to what Jesus said to him. Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goats? Now that suggests to me, and this is just me, not the Bible, Saul knew. A lot of the things that were going on. Saul had was doing all this up front, and yet inside his inner heart, he knew there were some challenges gnawing away. Well, what if it's true? What if he is who he says he is? What's the reality? What, why is this happening? And there were contradictions in his reasoning, but he would never admit it. Now, apparently a goad was a a, a stick, and at one end it was sharpened and at the other end it was blunt. And they used to use it to control the oxen. And if they wanted the oxen in line, they would stick in the stick into the animal. If the animal didn't, then they did it a bit further. And in, at times it went beyond that. And they even probably, they call it RSPCA, would be there in, with, with bells on now, wouldn't they? They would say so cruelty to animals. But do you get the picture? That actually, if you did it too far, if you hurt the animal too much, what did the animal do? It reacted. Hence the kicks. And here was was Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, there's something happening in you, and you're kicking out against those things that may be and probably are. If you're honest, true. The other thing we we'll probably pick up that people say uh, in, the, in the background to all this is that the um, entourage that were with him were probably temple police. It was his security guard. It was his system. From Jerusalem to Damascus it was 134 miles through probably troubled lands, pray where there were bandits and everything. So he had his people. But they were absolutely stunned by all this as it happened. Look at the other issue. There's so many things that look at the the brightness of the light was, was stronger than the sun. A Christian medical person said that if you have lightning or you're struck by something of that magnitude of a bright light, then probably you would be so decimated probably for three days like he was and you wouldn't want to eat and you wouldn't want to drink. You were immobilized because of the experience of this. Saul had not just a physical encounter. This was a spiritual encounter. It was God not just saying I'll bring out physical and bring you to your knees but i want you to ask questions in your core being i am jesus whom you persecute and begged a load of questions we haven't time but there's another set of series of sermons if you like just on the fact of ananias look what ananias did ananias was at risk Ananias was a humble man. Ananias was meeting a Pharisee of Pharisees. How would he contend with him? But God said, go. Go. And he went. God said, this is my chosen instrument. And he was so obedient, against the odds, totally unexpected. And he went and he Healed Saul and spoke to him. This was a key reorientation of the life mentally, physically, and spiritually, of an enemy of God who didn't believe he was at enmity with God. And all of a sudden, the big uh, kind of real issue that he was against was this Jesus of Nazareth. But do you realize what he said? This Jesus is the Son of God. That was a revelation of seismic magnitude. And the implication of that and what it really, really, really meant. And, and you've only got to read those 13 epistles to pick up the depth of experience and knowledge across all those issues, mentally, physically, and spiritually, to the core of his being, to understand what was going on. If you read Galatians chapter 1, you'll see what happens next. What would you have done? What would I have done if this had have happened? The epicenter of everything that was going wrong about this Christianity, which was new to Saul, was Jerusalem. Why wouldn't he go to the apostles? Why wouldn't he ask them and say, listen, this is new to me. Tell me more. If you read Galatians chapter 1, for three years, after this experience, he went into the desert. He wouldn't listen to any other man. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was instructed by the Holy Spirit. He was given and comprehended the whole truth. He was able to confirm it because of his learning in the Old Testament scriptures. He was confronted by it. And had the great experience. First hand experience. And out of all this he then said. i been led to communicate it. And what a communication he did. Listen, he, 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 he communicated it to you and me tonight. The ginormity of all this. This great gospel was a beginning of a lifelong process. It renewed his mind. It transformed him and the aim was to become like Jesus. To become Christ-like. And another aim that he was really underlined the whole essence of his life was to be faithful to the heavenly vision faithful to what God wanted to do in him and through him for the rest of his life to reach other people I don't think he understood that we'd be here tonight discussing it unless God revealed it to him If you read Acts chapter 9 and you um, follow that story, there's a little sequence where God showed him everything he would suffer from this reorientation, this revelation. If you read 2 Corinthians 11, you'll see it actually happened. Read it tonight. Horrendous. In danger from bandits, night and day in the sea, lost and deserted by his friends. And there's a whole catalogue in that chapter of those things he suffered for the sake of this incredible gospel. I don't know if um, Judith and um, you've you, you picked up, you went to David Cook in a, a on the uh, Bible readings, on the you you missed it, Judith. Did you go? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you'll have to put. Marjorie and I have got a different, slightly different take on this story, so you'll have to put us right. There was a, an Australian called David Cook, who, as I understand it, was a teacher of teachers, a preacher of preachers, uh, a teacher of preachers, and he was a great guy. He he, he probably was in his fifties, maybe sixties. And he had his feet solidly on the ground. He knew life and, and things. And I thought he was brilliant. And um, here's what he said. When he first got up, I think it was, fairly at the beginning. He said, do you know what I pray the first thing on the morning? I say this. Good morning, God. What are you up to today? How do you want me to help? What a Brilliant, brilliant prayer, think about all the implications of all that think of think of you know, good morning, the relationship. I can go to the throne of God and have that intimate relationship. Yes, I've got to fear him, yes, I've got to respect him, but I can say you are God and you are my God, you are Lord, and you are my Lord. Good morning, Lord. Then the other part of it that talks about the will of God. What are you up to do? What are you up to today, God? Incredible. The focus of the individual on daily living, every part of your life, to focus in on what God is doing. And then the last bit. How do you want me to help? This incredible thing that we don't fully understand that this Almighty God, who doesn't need our help, chooses to engage us and uses for his honor and glory in us and through us, every aspect of our being. Time is going. I want to ask you a simple question. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? I don't care how old you are, how young you are. What's your focus? What's your aim? What's your ambition? What's your desire? In fact, if you, if you read Tony Brown's um, latest um, newsletter, I was uh, quite Im- taken by this paragraph. It's only just come out. You've, you've probably uh, not seen it yet. He says this, Firstly, it is possible to be zealous for God to be familiar with the themes of the Bible, to know numerous Bible verses, to be religious and yet be far from God. This was Saul of Tarsus before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Zeal can be misguided. Paul said his fellow Israelites were zealous, but not according to knowledge. The revelation that Paul experienced and shared. Hudson Taylor said this when he was, Hudson Taylor was the first, the founder of the China End of Mission, and I don't know if you know his story, but um, I know some of it, I don't know all of it, but he was beaten, he was robbed, he was ridiculed, he was buried, he buried two wives and six children. And kept his mission. He was a passionate Yorkshireman, by the way, which is good. He said this. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Let me say that again. Wherever you are, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you think, God's work done by God in God's way will never lack. God's supplies. John Piper said something else. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let's say again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. One of the most extensive teachings with such a massive implications in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's epistles, is to be in Christ. In fact, the inference of it is to be lost in Christ. Everything about me should be Christ-led, Christ-focused, Christ-orientated. What are you going to do the rest of your life? I kind ask myself it. Is it to do the will of God in all things, 24-7, all the time? But there's something else that God's been teaching me as well, quite forcibly, and I, I know it and understand it. It's not just being in the will of God. It's the mentality to, through doing that will of God, to bring glory to God. In who you are, what you are, what you do. Here's a massive one. Read Second Corinthians 10. What you think. One of the biggest battles in the Christian life is in the thought life. That's where the gestation of sin happens. I'm going to close. This man, Saul, had this massive turnaround. But if you read these chapters again, uh, this particular reading we've read tonight. His purpose was to stand and to keep on standing for the truth revealed. He accepted his role to be appointed as a servant and a witness. Let me just digress. You do hope, understand and appreciate what is the difference between being a service and doing service. It's crucial. Service is when you do something for somebody and you're in control as to the why, where, when, and how. To be a servant of Christ means he is in control totally about the what, the where, the when, and the how. So he was going to be a servant for Christ. He was going to be a witness for Christ. And look at the commission and the mission. He said, I'm sending you to open eyes, to show them the whole truth, the real truth, to turn darkness to light. We've just been singing about that. And deliver people from the power of Satan unto God. Sanctified by grace in Christ, obedient to their gospel calling and their heavenly vision." With God's help so I will stand. With God's help, so I will spend the rest of my life to do his will, to his honor glory, honor and glory in everything I am and everything in my root being, so that his name will be glorified. Let's pray. Father we thank you for this challenge but Lord it is so 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 difficult we are so so pathetic at times and let you down in so so many ways we get distracted with meism instead of youism and i just pray that you'll help us and show us what this means in all our lives bless these folks bless them wherever they are Lord, f- let them honor your name and glorify your name in everything they are and everything they do from now onwards and for the rest of their lives. For I ask it in your name.